0: Um and so you wanted to be ministering, serving when you were ninety, correct? And you were ninety on January sixth. So you your wish is fulfilled. You'll also be serving communion. So get ready. All right. And I also want to tell you that we're we're uh, our prefect Jerry Schnackenberg, is viewing from Colorado. Hey, Jerry and Pam, this morning, he just uh, he just had surgery for a, a melanoma on his neck and his uh, side. So we're praying that all the margins are clear. The neck is good, but this is a so Lord, just lift up Jerry to you right now, and I thank you in advance for the the good news that these margins are clear. That he's going to be you're going to be restored to health and wholeness and body, mind, and spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. It's good to be back. So as I always say, it's good to go. It's good to be back. Um, This is Epiphany. It's a whole new season that we have, and it's white. Uh, Epiphany or Theophany uh, typically has to do with the Magi coming, the reading for January 6th, the Epiphany. See, January 6th is really famous for the Epiphany, not anything else. And I thought I'd throw that in there. Uh, So the Magi coming, Jesus being baptized. I call Epiphany Jesus' coming out party. Next week we're going to have the the changing of the water into wine at Cana. and So we get to see a little bit of who he is as we make our way toward Lent. But today I want to talk to you about uh, this very short reading from the book of Acts. And the big idea is God shows no partiality. Okay, God shows no partiality. We actually were breaking into a sermon that's being given by Peter, but we don't know who, where, what, why, when, what's going on, who are these people, what's happening, right? Yet I remember that the central issue in Acts is, will the Gentiles be saved? Who is this gospel for? Who is this good news for? And it really starts in Acts chapter 10. Up until now, we've sort of been leading into it. Even in Acts 9, This is where Paul gets knocked down on the road to Damascus, but he kind of goes away for a while and he'll show up a little later. But what did he do when he went to a new town? He always went to the synagogue first, right? He showed up at the synagogue, preached to the Jews, preached the good news to God's people. He had three reactions to that preaching. One was, yes, Jesus is the Messiah. Thank you, but we've been waiting for this good news. The second reaction was, That's interesting. When are you coming back? I want to hear more. The third one was, how can we kill this guy? How can we get rid of him? He's dangerous. Will the gospel be preached to the Gentiles? That was the question. So in Acts 10, we meet someone named Cornelius. And at 67 verses, it's the longest narrative in the book of Acts. So you think, hmm, it's got to be pretty important. Sixty-seven verses. Cornelius, we're told, is a centurion. He is part of the Italian regiment. He's over a hundred men. We're also told that he's not in these words, but they're defining him as a God-fearer. In those days, a God-fearer was a Gentile who uh, worshipped God, read the scriptures, maybe went to synagogue, gave alms, but they were still... Gentiles, they were not Jews, they were God-fearers, but they were still outsiders. Cornelius, uh, he's been Caesarea, and at the ninth hour, the Jewish day starts at 6 a.m., so this is 3 o'clock in the afternoon, ninth hour, and he has a vision, and the angel says to him, your prayers and your alms have been heard and received by God. Send, some, send people to go get Peter. He's down in Joppa, and bring him up here so he can be with you, your people. Meanwhile, in Joppa, Peter is down there. He's staying at the home of Simon the Tanner. The Tanner. What is a Tanner? A Tanner is somebody who works with and processes animal skin, animal hides. Tanners were perpetually unclean. He could not go to the temple. And Peter is staying with someone who was perpetually unclean, an outsider. Hmm. Could have stayed anywhere, but he chose to stay with Simon the Tanner. God is doing something different here as well. So now Peter, it's getting to be lunchtime, the sixth hour, so it's noon. He's, they're getting ready to prepare lunch, and he goes up to the roof. And while he's up on the roof, he's... He goes into a trance, and he sees this sheet drop down, and it's got all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, all kinds of stuff. And he hears a voice that says, Peter, kill and eat. And he goes, no, 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 no. no. I've never eaten anything that's unclean. Don't tell me to do that. And the voice says, Peter, don't call unclean what God has made clean. Whoa, there's a whole new chapter. And this happens three times. And the sheet gets drawn back up. And then the voice says, "Uh, You're going to have three guys come to see you. They've been sent by Cornelius. Do not hesitate to go with them back to Caesarea. So he goes downstairs. And sure enough, these three guys are there. They tell him about Cornelius' vision. He lets him in the house Gentiles in the house. Not a good thing, although tanners aren't a good thing either, so maybe it doesn't matter. So Peter agrees to go with them. It's a big step. Again, these are Gentiles. I want to emphasize the fact these are Gentiles, outsiders, just Jews do not associate with Gentiles. If you wanted to go up to Galilee, right, and you, you went up from the south, there was, there was an area of Samaria, and which was a Gentile area, and they would go north, go east. Go north and then go into Galilee. They wouldn't go into a Gentile territory. When you, if you did, you would come out and you would dust the dust off your sandals, clean your robes. I mean, you had to purify yourself. If you would come into contact with a Gentile, a Gentile uh, person or a thing, it was it was very strong. So Peter agrees to go, even though they're Gentiles. And he agrees to go even though he doesn't really understand what's going on. He doesn't know. You know, he's had a vision, they've had a vision. What's the point of this whole thing? I don't know, but I'm going. He's like Mary. When the angel appears to Mary, she doesn't quite understand and get it either. This is crazy. But your will be done. And Peter is saying, your will be done. Even though I don't understand it, your will be done. So off he goes. He gets there. Cornelius is there. And what happens when Peter arrives? Cornelius drops to his knees and he worships Peter. Peter says, get up. I'm just a man like you. Don't wor- you, don't, you don't worship me. <clears throat> and then Cornelius, Cornelius relates his vision to Peter. So he says, this is what happened to me. Now, Peter, he says, well, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Why am I here? I'm here because I was told to be here. But what do you want to hear from me? So then... They go inside, and he sees a crowd. Again, he goes inside of a Gentile home, totally forbidden. When I was young, growing up in western New York in the Roman Catholic Church, and I don't know if it's this way today, there was a certain sin called the sin of crossing the threshold. That was a sin that you had to confess. Anybody ever heard of this? So if you stepped into Christ the King or First Baptist or First Pres or First United Methodist or Central Christian or Church of the Springs or Meadowbrook. You stepped in, across the threshold, and there was no service going on. It's not like you're participating in anything. You just crossed the threshold. You had to confess it. That was a sin. And it was very much like crossing into a Gentile home. You would have to purify yourself after that. Okay. So he does it. Legalism. Crazy. Story was told some years ago of a pastor who found the roadblock one Sunday morning. Let me just tell you, this guy is not in Florida. And was forced to skate on the river to get to church, which he did. When he arrived, the elders of the church were horrified that their preacher had skated on the Lord's Day. After the service, they held a meeting where the pastor explained that it was either skate to church or not go at all. Finally, one of the elders said, did you enjoy it? When the preacher answered no, the board decided it was okay. See, uh, bad news. God shows Peter not to call anyone unclean due to their external characteristics or for things that you can't control. What does Paul say? Paul says in Christ there, are, there, there is no Jew nor Gentile Male and female, slave nor free. Now there's Jews and there's Gentiles and there's male and there's female and there's slave and free. But in Christ, none of that matters. All the externals don't matter. Or a condition like being a slave that you can't control doesn't matter. It's the condition of the heart. Okay? Doesn't matter where you came from, what you look like. Devout Jewish male prayer. In the morning, the Jews would say, they would recite the Shema. Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one. And then they would say, I thank God that I was not born a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. That was the first thing you said in the morning, you know, like a devotional. It was a prayer of thanksgiving that I wasn't born a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. That's why Paul says Jew, Gentile, male, female, slave free, because that was something that came out of their mouths every morning. I'm better than that. They're below me. They're beneath me. They're outsiders. I'm in the club. Wouldn't work today. Peter preaches these verses today, and it shows that the gospel really is for everyone. He says God shows no partiality, no exceptions. Even if you have committed some serious sin, have repented, you're not excluded. I know people that I say, "Why well, I haven't seen you. If you knew what I did, you wouldn't ask me that. You wouldn't want me to be there. Yeah, I do want you to be there, here, and God wants you to be here too. Really, I, 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 but I, but I, I said, let's talk about it. And invariably, somehow they think God has rejected me because of what I've done, and there's no hope that I could be restored into His fellowship. That is a lie from the pit of hell. People who repent are restored into into fellowship with God. There's nothing you can do that will change that. It's a world-changing event for those whose faith was based on partiality. There are people who say, become like us, look like us, worship like us, or it doesn't count. Do Do everything we do, or it doesn't count. I'm going to say more about that in a minute. So, slowly from Jerusalem to Samaria to Joppa to Caesarea, we come face to face with this Gentile named Cornelius. Remember, Jesus says in the Great Commission, I want you to go preach the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. This is the first time the Gentiles hear in the gospel. In the New Testament, this is it. This is a big deal. So, and even though Cornelius is a God fearing man, Peter still preaches the gospel with him. Just everyone needs to hear the gospel. And it's not true. If people have a sincere faith in something, they don't need Jesus. I might have a sincere faith in my own ability, knowledge, education, wealth, nationality, occupation, whatever it is, family heritage. It doesn't count for this. Those are all good things, but it doesn't count for being reconciled with the Father through the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. Everyone needs Jesus. No exception. Peter in the sermon says some facts about Jesus. He said John preaches and baptizes Jesus. God anoints Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Jesus ministers in Galilee. He goes to Jerusalem. He's crucified. He's resurrected on the third day. He appears to the disciples. He commands his followers to preach the gospel to all nations. Theologically Peter says he's, Jesus is Lord of all. He's ordained by God to judge the living and the dead. He's the fulfillment of all messianic prophecies. The only one through whom we may receive forgiveness. So he talks about what Jesus did his life and then he talks some theology that's his sermon and my guess is that was his sermon wherever he went that was Paul's sermon wherever he went he talked about who Jesus was and what he did and what God has done through him and what he has to offer us so we don't have to wonder what these apostles and disciples were preaching in the earliest days of the church to the Jews and to the Gentiles as well So then, while Peter's preaching, what happens? The Holy Spirit descends, and these people start to speak in tongues. And Peter says, huh, I think the Holy Spirit just fell on these people. Can anybody give me a good reason why they shouldn't be baptized? Uh, no. And he baptizes them. He baptizes Gentiles without having them become Jews revolutionary, radical, never been done before. They're just baptized because the Holy Spirit fell. And what you see in the New Testament is sometimes the Holy Spirit falls and then they get baptized. Sometimes they get baptized and the Holy Spirit falls. Sometimes the baptism and the Holy Spirit happen at the same time. There's no pattern for this. That's one only. God does what God wants to do. This is a radical new thing. So in Acts 11, somebody that was there with Peter in Caesarea, when they go back to Jerusalem, they weren't happy. And they ratted Peter out. Do you know what this guy did? He went into the house of Gentiles, and he baptized them. Are you kidding me? This guy's got to be drummed out of the core. He's not a member of the team. He's off the team. He's off the reservation. And then Peter explains exactly what happened. And the leaders go, Wow, that's a good thing. Didn't see that coming. But hallelujah, God's doing a new thing. And that, was, that really was a big deal. So the good news is for everyone. We're not to allow language or race or culture or geography or economic or educational level or anything else to get in the way of the gospel. Today, people think you have to do things a certain way. How many of you were baptized by full immersion? Raise your hand. How many of you were baptized by sprinkling? How many of you can't remember? Well, which is it? What's right? What's wrong? Huh? Water, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Sprink, sprinkle, dunk, splatter, I don't know water, and the Trinity. Okay, um, when you come to communion, is it left over right or is it right over left? Which is it? How many say right over left? How many say left over right? How many say it doesn't matter? Okay, just so you know, it's right over left, and I just want you to know, Shirley and Tom, if they do it wrong, don't give them communion. That's it. Sorry, Jerry. I've said this before, but certain people, but they're not with us anymore, but they would go crazy if the acolyte lit the wrong candle first. Now, at the, at the 8 o'clock service, we were acolyteless, so I was the crucifer, and I walked up, and Cynthia <laughs> Cummings says, the candles aren't lit. So Tom went through the whole opening. I said, oh, we've got to start over. I didn't have the candles lighted. But the way the But see, the deal with with these people was you have to light the correct candle first or the whole service doesn't count. So I made up a ditty for the acolytes, arriving right, leaving left. When you get here, you light the right one first, and when you're leaving, you put the left one out first. Got it? it. Because otherwise, the whole service is like, we didn't even have one. Because you got it wrong. I don't think God cares. There's so much that doesn't really matter. You know most stuff, like for example, so Kathy and I are over there at a wedding, doing a wedding this week, uh, Thursday and Friday over in Winter Park, and we were staying in Maitland, and um, driving over to the venue, and the GPS said get on I four. and Kathy said I don't I don't want to go on I four. Let's do let's just take a ride, I four I- is too unpredict. I said come on it's I four. She said, it's Friday. I said, all right, fine. So I turn, and now we're paralleling I-4, and I look up, and there's this big sign that says, caution, all traffic stopped ahead. Good call, but anyway... uh, You don't speak in tongues; you're not a Christian. Some people think that. That's the Jesus and crowd. Jesus and blank, blank, blank. You know. I remember, and certain things can happen to you later in your walk with Christ. I told you the story. Keith Barron came, healing ministry had a healing ministry, went over to Living Waters, and the second he came one Tuesday night, he stayed 29 weeks. He came back 29 weeks in a row. The first, second night, Kathy went the first night, and. She said, you need to see him, and I did. And I walked up this ramp, if you remember that, over living waters, and he was standing there, and he looked at me, and I'm on the floor. I'm out. I'm done. Slain in the spirit. Never happened to me before. I got up, and I went down to the front because I thought he was trying to say something to me. He looked at me again, never touched me, never prayed for me. Bang, I'm down on the floor again. It's never happened since, you know. Now, when Matthew McKenzie goes out like that, you need a wheelchair or a gurney to get him out of there. Am I kidding? No, I'm not. But you think about that, and that was real. That, for me, that was a real thing that happened. It wasn't touching me. wasn't praying for me. I didn't fake it. I just, boom, there it was. But it was a new thing, and I had been a Christian for a long time before that, you know, a long time before that. But I'd never experienced that. It was a new thing. God did something new in my life. He can do new things, and he's doing something new here in Acts chapter 10. Everything called the artichoke theory, I haven't used this in a while or said it, but the heart of the artichoke, say that the heart of the artichoke is the gospel. And over time, men have put these leaves around the heart of the gospel, the heart of the artichoke, you know, this is how you pray, this is what you look like on Sunday, this is how you get baptized, this is how you do this, this is how this happens. And these things just obfuscate the heart. Of the gospel. When you start to peel all this stuff away, you're left with the gospel. That's what's common to all believing Christians. It's the most inclusive faith in history. Everybody's welcome, nobody's excluded based on demographics. Um, In our culture today, I'll tell you. A word for today really is God shows no partiality. I I see us as divided. Remember when you see division, isolation, separation its the enemy. Peace, clarity, and unity, it's God's Holy Spirit. Do you see division, isolation, and separation in our our country, in our culture, whether it's critical race theory, pitting races against each other? Columbia University, I think, had 14 separate graduation exercises last spring. They had a black graduation and a white graduation and an Asian graduation, a Hispanic graduation, an LGBT graduation. I mean, what are, you, what are you doing? In Denver, there's playgrounds, school playgrounds, where it's blacks only. In New York State right now, race is now a factor in health care. If you're white, you're further down the line because of repression and, and disparity over the years, and so minorities come first when it comes to health care and treatment based on race. That's a whole new thing. We've never had that before, and it's wrong. It's just wrong. God shows no partiality, and neither should we. Even though the gospel is for everyone, we don't get to make up our own. What Peter preached to Cornelius, I preach to you, Father Tom preaches to you. Same story. It's not a Catholic gospel or an Anglican gospel or a Baptist gospel or or a Pentecostal gospel. It's the Christian gospel for all people, for all time, and it doesn't change. And in the end, it comes down to this. When God says, why shall I let you into my kingdom? The answer is because I know your son. Not because my grandfather built the church or I gave a lot of money or I'm a good person because I know your son. I want to end with this prayer that I ended on Christmas today. And I'm doing it because... When this prayer, I don't know who wrote this, but it really encapsulates encapsulates a little bit of what Peter would have preached in his ministry. Lord Jesus, for too long I've kept you out of my life. No longer will I close the door when I hear you knocking. Here and now I open the door to invite you to come into my heart. I gratefully receive your gift of salvation. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming into earth. With all my heart, I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead on the third day. Thank you for giving me the gift of eternal life. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus, and be my Savior. There is room in my heart for you.